I don't know if you've been following the past events of this, uh, this weekend, but it has been the NCAA tournament. Anybody know that? What's going on? Uh, it's kind of been this thing in our house uh, to, to watch these past few weeks, and we're now down to the final two. Yesterday, San Diego State beat uh, Florida Atlantic and UConn beat Miami, and none of those teams were expected to be in the final four, well, maybe UConn, but not, not even a whole lot of people had them and, and picked them to be in the final. It's been fun for us because Refuge has had this bracket contest for people to sign up and participate against one another. Now, don't worry, there was no gambling involved in Refuge at any point. So it was just a friendly competition. And, uh, and as guys sometimes tend to do, we started talking a little trash at each other for, uh, for the NCAA bracket. It was all in fun. But at one point, it looked like Jared Parsons and I had a chance to pull out a win over our sons, Nolan and Ian. And so Jared and I texted the boys and say, hey, let the record show dads just know better. Well, I can't lie, Jared sent that text, not me. But, uh, and we would have won too, as long as the teams that we picked actually won their games. And uh, so last Sunday night, the team that Jared and I had picked winning the entire tournament lost. And within seconds, my phone started to buzz and I had a text message and it was Ian who said, let's hear it for the young guys. <laughs> so Jared and I can put an L up in our column, right? And uh, the young guys get to put a W in their column. And, and just because uh, one sports metaphor isn't enough on a Sunday morning, I'm a St. Louis Cardinal fan. Let's hear it from the St. Louis Cardinal fans. I knew it. I knew we'd hear it. I knew we'd hear it. I'm a St. Louis Cardinal fan, but for, the, for a good portion of my life, I've, I've lived in Chicago Cubs territory. Can I hear from the Chicago Cub fans? They're always louder and more annoying. It, they always are. It, it never fails, all right? Um, they're always so annoying. Now, now, don't come after, just let me explain here. Cub fans have this habit. And it doesn't just annoy St. Louis Cardinal fans. I think it annoys the entire world. Anybody who isn't a Cubs fan, see, they have this habit that every time the team wins, they hang this white flag with a blue W on it outside of their home. Have you seen those flags? All over the place. Ugh. At least Cardinal fans, we don't have to see it too often, right? Okay. So, now my segue into something. I got to get back to the Bible here, all right? So, when Jesus died on that cross, it seemed at the time that the Romans and the religious Jewish rulers at the time, the people that wanted Jesus out of the way, it seemed like they were taking out their annoying white flag with a big W on it, right? They could hang that outside their home and they could say, hey, we have won. Now, I'm not comparing Cub fans to Romans and the people who killed Jesus. Well, maybe a little bit, but not... not, not <laughs> Not completely. See, here's the point. 
They thought they had won. They thought they could hang that, that uh, white flag with the big W on it outside their home. They thought that they'd had Jesus removed. They thought they had had him beaten. But little did they know is that Sunday was coming. Little did they know that the man that had just literally died in front of their eyes is going to be walking around town in three days. It seems like as Jesus came out of that tomb, he could have been carrying his own white flag with the big W on it, right? This last week of Jesus's life is Kind of been like the, the March Madness tournament as Jesus's life has been back and forth and winning and not winning. And one time that they're winning and the next time that they weren't. And, you know, this is Palm Sunday. And on this day, Christians traditionally celebrate Jesus's return back into Jerusalem. And it's on this day in history that Jesus was greeted by a by a cheering crowd welcoming in to town the Messiah. The Messiah had shown up. And the townspeople thought that as Jesus was coming into town, that he was there to clear out these Romans that had been oppressing them. And as Jesus walked into town, he and his disciples weren't the only people walking down that road into town. There would have been this large crowd. It was Passover. And they were celebrating Passover. And so here was this large crowd also coming into town of these religious pilgrims to celebrate this holy week and this holy time. And this whole celebration was to remember that God rescued his people from their oppressors. This whole ceremony was to remember that God rescued his people from the Egyptians. And so could it be Could it be as Jesus is now entering into town, could you hear the people say, can you believe this? As we are coming into town to celebrate uh, our exodus from Egypt, the Messiah is coming into town with us. Could it be? Could it be that the same thing is going to happen this week? And so those that had made this religious pilgrimage into Jerusalem, uh, were coming into town, were probably super stoked that they were there at the moment. They got to enter into town with Jesus. See, they were expecting to see an uprising and they got to be part of it. This is the day. This is the day that we see the rescue. This is the day that we can wave our big white flag with a W on it. We have won. We have finally won. The Messiah is here. But as they got into town, the atmosphere changed. Those that were in Jerusalem were none too happy that Jesus showed up at all. And then Jesus didn't do what they thought he was going to do. There was no rescue. God didn't part a a Red Sea or he didn't send a single plague against the Romans like he did the Egyptians. And here near the end of the week, their hope, Jesus is arrested. I bet by some, at this point, some of the pilgrims that had come into town earlier this week were saying, we're out. 
Let's get out of here. Not only did this guy not do what we thought he should do, but now people are getting arrested. Let's get out of here. And to make matters worse, the hope that they had at the beginning of the week is now on a cross being executed by the Romans. Time to take down the white flag with the W on it, isn't it? See, according to the Gospel of John, Jesus only said one more thing after he declared that he was thirsty. The Gospel of Luke includes another phrase. We're going to go over that next week on Easter. But for today, this is what John chapter 19 says. Our same scripture from last week. John chapter 19, verse 28 says, Later, knowing that everything had now been finished, and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus says, said, It is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. It seems like if there was a victory flag hanging now, it was the Romans and the Jewish ruling councils that would be waving it. The Pharisees had that flag up. It's done. It's over. It's finished. In fact, the, the Greek word in the Bible translated for us as it is finished is actually just one word, uh, is tetelestai, tetelestai, which literally means done, complete. See, although we get to be on this side of history, we get to be on this side of the cross and we understand what's coming. We understand, we know the victory behind the cross. And so we think, no, we get to wave the victory flag. And the Pharisees would say, no, we get to. He's gone. It's over. See, I doubt they had a flag, but I bet you those Pharisees on the day that Jesus died breathed this this sigh of relief. This troublemaker is gone. Don't have to worry about him anymore. Once and for all, it's over. Or so they thought. And before we may get too excited in celebrating, let's ask, uh, let's ask what did Jesus mean when he said to tell us die? Or it is finished. What was actually finished, and and what does that mean for us today? And so if you're taking notes, you can follow along here. Uh, The first one is his suffering was finished. His suffering was finished. His ordeal of being tortured and suffering on the cross is finally over. In the past 18 hours or so, Jesus has gone. We find him the night before, and he's praying in the, the garden where the stress of this upcoming torture and the stress of the separation that he was going to face from his father caused Jesus to sweat blood. 
Jesus is going to be betrayed by one of his followers. He's going to be arrested. He's going to be condemned by the religious leaders. And then you can follow along in this timeline. About 6 a.m., around 6 a.m., he's handed over to the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate, who says, this guy isn't even Roman. He isn't really my problem. You guys, you guys deal with him. And so Jesus is drugged back to Herod, the Jewish king, where the chief priests are accusing Jesus. And Herod and the chief priests mock Jesus. They even put this this elegant robe on him to make fun of him. And they say, well, if he thinks he's a king, let's at least dress him that way. And look at him, some king you are. But Jesus just blankly stares back at them and he doesn't even say a word. About 7 a.m., he's returned back to Pilate, and the Gospel of Luke records Pilate's words. He says, you brought me this man as one who was inciting the people to rebellion. I've examined him in your presence, and I found no basis for your charges against him. And neither has Herod, for he sent him back to us. As you can see, he has done nothing to deserve death. Therefore, I'll just punish him and then release him. But the whole crowd shouted, away with this man, release Barabbas to us. Barabbas had been thrown into prison for an insurrection in the city and for murder. Wanting to release Jesus, Pilate appealed to them again, but they kept shouting, crucify him, crucify him. So Pilate decided to grant their demand. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, the one that they asked for, and surrendered Jesus to their will. And so now what seems like for an hour's time, probably from 8, 7.30, 8 till 9 a.m., Jesus is beaten by Roman guards. They would have used a a whip, but on the end of this whip had shards of pottery or perhaps even metal or or nails on the end. And it was designed to, to literally rip the flesh as the soldiers pulled back the whip. He was forced to carry his own cross up a hill to the place where the Romans executed their worst criminals. And he did it bleeding, weak, and absolutely exhausted. About 9 a.m., the first nail went into the flesh of Jesus, and the cross was lifted into place. And immediately, breathing would have become extremely difficult, which is only overshadowed by the pain of his entire body resting on a few nails. Jesus would have had to, to push himself up on those nails just to expand his lungs enough to get a breath and to speak at all. And he looks at all of those who had just put him on this cross and he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And meanwhile, the Roman soldiers are seen gambling for who gets to take home his clothes. The criminal next to Jesus on the cross hurled insults at at him and saying, well, if you're the king of the Jews, then save yourself. And while you're at it, save us too. 
one of those criminals had a repentant heart for he knew that he was paying the same price as an innocent man. And he hears Jesus say to him, today you will be with me in paradise. Perhaps about 10 a.m., Jesus looks down and sees his mother Mary and his friend John and he tells them to take care of one another and thus he issues in this new type of family where now we are all related as brothers and sisters in Christ. And at noon, the sky goes dark. Within the next hour or so, the people of near the cross here, Jesus say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me as the sins of the world are placed upon him? About 2 p.m., Jesus is barely able to muster enough strength uh, through his gasp, and he says, I am thirsty. And that hyssop branch with a sponge and bitter vinegar wine is lifted to his lips, and Jesus drinks of the cup of the wrath of God. And then at 3 p.m., Jesus declares, it is finished. He bows his head and gives up his spirit. The suffering is finally over. It's done. To tell us die. No more. Jesus has died. And the Romans and the Jewish ruling council are waving their victory flag, the, the so-called king. The so-called Messiah, they say, is gone. He's dead. All their hope is gone. Or has it? See, when Jesus said those words, I highly doubt that he was referring to his suffering by saying it is finished. There's so much more that was finished as Jesus died upon that cross. Number two, his ministry was finished. His life work was complete. Jesus had done it. It, It's now over. He came to earth under these meager circumstances. He was born in a stable to these poor parents. He grew up in obedience. He, He was baptized. He faced the temptation of the devil out in the desert. He preached to thousands. He spent entire nights in prayer. He calmed seas. He raised the dead back to life. Jesus challenged the status quo. He ate lunch and hung out with the sinners. And all that Jesus came to do, culminating upon that cross, is now finished. The reason why God sent him to earth in the first place is now complete. Number three, though, Jesus' mission is also complete. Jesus' mission, he says it himself, that he came to seek and to save the lost, and he did that. His mission was to redeem sinners. He did that. 
The Passover lamb has now been slain. He has completed all that is necessary in order to atone for the sins of mankind. Nothing else needs to happen. The mission has been completed. Number four, the Old Testament prophecies were fulfilled. It said that Jesus fulfilled 324 Old Testament prophecies that were written about him, were written about the Messiah hundreds and thousands of years before. I have trouble getting together a daily to-do task. And Jesus fulfills 324 prophecies about himself. And many of these, including the town where he is born in, he has no control over. And so it's evident that he didn't manipulate most of them at all. And if you ever need proof that Jesus is who he says he is, then look at all these. There's very good reason that he's the Messiah. It's a good reason it's proven here that it's a mathematical impossibility for anyone else to fulfill all these prophecies. And number five, the Old Testament law has been fulfilled. Jesus said it himself, do, I, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come not to abolish them, but to fulfill them. The Old Testament contains 613 different laws that the Jewish people were supposed to obey. It was an impossible feat, and, and thus it was always going to be necessary for them to continually come to God and offer some sort of sacrifice and payment for the sins of the people. And Jesus fulfilled the law by teaching the people to obey the law. And he perfectly obeyed the law himself. And he was the only one who ever did. And so in living a perfect life, Jesus fulfills those moral laws. And in his sacrificial death, he fulfills the consequence for breaking the law. Jesus didn't destroy that, that old religious system, but he's building upon it. And he, he's come, so not just to, to finish the old covenant, but to f- establish a new one, one that's based on grace, not just obedience. And so number six, therefore the sacrificial system in the temple is finished. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the true high priest. He's the king of the Jews and the the king who has made the ultimate sacrifice for all of his subjects. See, the priest now no longer needed to bring an, an unblemished lamb into the temple to sacrifice it for the sins of the people because the true and final Passover lamb willingly sacrificed himself. And that blood is no longer needed to be spilled in the temple because Jesus has allowed his blood to cover our sins. In the old system where where people didn't even have access to God, they weren't even allowed to be in his presence, is 
over. Jesus is, is personal. Jesus is, is available and he's there for anyone who calls upon his name. And so in this new covenant, death is even defeated. So number seven is the rule of the devil is over. The Old Testament says that the descendant of Eve, and that's, that's Jesus, will have his heel bruised by Satan. Nice try, Satan, on the cross. You bruised the heel of the descendant of Eve, but you did not win. I'm sure at that time when Jesus breathed his last on that cross that Satan was, was laughing and, and Satan thought that he had just... Satan thought that he had given Jesus the final blow. I'm sure he, the devil thought that now he can wave the victory flag. I'm sure he thought he had won, but he didn't know Sunday was coming. The death of Jesus paved the way and it paid the price for all of us. It allows us to be forgiven for our sins Nothing else is needed. The system is finished. To tell us die. It's done. It's finished. And the resurrection of, of Jesus was that death blow to our enemy, the devil. After Jesus was resurrected, the, the crowds were, were so surprised to see him, and rightfully so. They had just watched this man die on this cross, and here, three days later, he's walking around town. The Messiah came back for a more magnificent triumphal entry. Imagine the look on the devil's face when Jesus is walking around town alive. He knew at that moment, he's defeated. He had no hope. If you, ever wanna, if you ever wonder why the devil tries so hard to seek and to kill and destroy, it's because he knows his time is limited. He has a limited amount of time before Jesus comes again and he will be cast into the sea of his own fire. His rule is finished. Christ is victorious. We are victorious. And so number eight, what, what may mean the most to us today, our hopelessness to ever be good enough, to earn our way into the presence of God is gone. Hopelessness is gone. See, when we accept the sacrifice that Jesus made for us, God looks at us as if we've never sinned. He doesn't see you for all the things that you have done in the past. He sees you now as his son, as a co-heir, as a brother or sister in Christ. He sees you as justified. He sees you as adopted, as regenerated, as redeemed. We are God's kids together. Jesus is our brother, and he is the glorious king. 
See, it's not finished. It's not this, this cry of hopelessness from, a, from the cross. It was a declaration that the reign of darkness is over. It's done. Our side wins. Our side is victorious. Jesus has paid it all and nothing else is needed. And so if we ever feel defeated or overpowered or crushed or discouraged, remember, it is finished. Jesus has already triumphed over any power that sin has over you. The power of death is no longer valid in your life. And any power that the devil once had over you through Jesus is gone. The debt has been paid. It is finished. And so when Jesus entered Jerusalem, almost a week prior on that Palm Sunday, the people were celebrating that the Passover the Passover lamb is in town. The Messiah is coming into town. And they thought it's finished. We have finally won. It is finally over. But little did they know. That was just the beginning. It was just the start. Would you stand and pray with me today? Jesus, as you came into town on that Sunday and the crowds cheered that the Messiah had come, it was rightfully so. You were coming to make everything right again, but it did not happen the way that they thought. And Jesus, when you breathed your last on that cross, you paid the price for us. It's true, Lord, it's finished. The price has been paid. There's nothing else left to give. There's nothing else left to be paid. The one true unblemished lamb has been sacrificed. And Lord, we can come to you and apply your penalty to pay the price for our sins with what you did for us. So Lord, you did declare the truth. It is finished. Nothing else needs to happen. We thank you, Lord, that we can come to you and celebrate you and thank you that your death paid the price that it paved the way for us to be in a relationship with you and the Father once again. The enemy thought he had won, but little did he know that Sunday was coming. And so, Lord, even though you rightfully so said it is finished, it was just the beginning. It was just the start. And so, Lord, we thank you that we can come to you with hope and with a victorious stance 
And we, our side, forever, from now on, get to wave the victory flag. For you have paid the final price and you defeated death. You defeated our worst enemy. Lord, let us leave today with a sense of freedom in our souls today. Let us come to you uh, with that uh, with that desire to come to our King, the one who has paid the price for us. Lord, if any of us need to come to you and ask for forgiveness, may this be the the morning that we do that. May this be the, the morning where we can lay all of the things at the foot of your cross and allow you, Lord, to cleanse us. Allow us, Lord, to leave this church today different than when we came in. Apply the blood of the sacrificial lamb to our lives. Thank you, Jesus, for paying the price for us on the cross. It is finished. But it's just the beginning. It's just the beginning of a life that we get to spend with you, of an eternity that we will be with you in heaven. Lord, allow us to, to invite our friends and our families so that they can hear the good news this next Sunday on Easter Sunday morning. We pray, Lord, that you would bless these conversations that our congregation, those that are here today and those that are watching online, we pray, Lord, in advance for those, those communications, those, those moments where we get to invite and say, would you come to church with me? It's Easter. Our church is going to have a celebration, and I want you to be part of it. Lord, Soften the hearts of those that are going to be invited. Prepare them now for what they will hear. Into your hands, I commit my spirit. May that be so for those who come on Easter Sunday morning for the first time to say those words. We pray in advance for what you are going to do next week on your resurrection Sunday. We look forward to celebrating this week with you, to traveling this week with you through Monday, Thursday, through the Tenembrae service, a service of shadows and the cross, and then to celebrate on Easter morning. Lord, work through this congregation. Do an amazing work this week. And may all the glory and all the honor go to you. Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you for being here with us today. And it's in your glorious and wonderful name that all of us say together, amen. Amen.